So let's look at uh, chapter 35, reading from verse 1. Uh, then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments And let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. Remember, uh, um, So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had, and the rings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak, which is near Shechem. And as they journeyed, there was great terror among the cities which were around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Okay, so we're going to stop there. And so what you see is you see that that this is this this point where we had covered chapter 34 the way the way that we see that this is constructed is really quite interesting because in chapter 34 there was no mention of god not a single mention of god and his life was a mess jacob's life was a real mess he was getting very close to assimilating with with the shechemites something that the jews were not supposed to do that the the hebrews were not supposed to do came very close to marrying into a relationship with them, something that they were not supposed to do. The sons do something really devious, end up killing a bunch, killing all the men in Shechem and taking the women and the children to be, to be slaves. And so you might remember, let's read in chapter 34, verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me, making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And men, my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, I and my household. But they said, should they treat our sister as a harlot? So that's where we ended up last time. But what we see in chapter 35 is God then meets him. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and live there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So when he says go up, we just saw that Shechem is 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 uh, uh, above Bethel. But he says go up. The reason he says go up is because Shechem is lower topographically than Bethel. So you will often see that they'll say, and they went up to Jerusalem even though that they were uh, geographically north of Jerusalem, but because Jerusalem's up on a mountain, Bethel's up on a mountain. That's why they say they went up to Bethel. And if you go to Israel today and, you, and, and you're in Jerusalem, and I've done this, and it's really frustrating. You ask directions to get to some place. This was before that GPS got good in Israel, and I used to drive around Jerusalem, and I, you'd stop and ask directions, because, and, and they'd say, well, you, you, you turn right here and then you bear left, then you go up and then you go down. And so they add the third dimension to all the directions. And, and, and to, to an American, that's very hard. You're used to some grid pattern and there is no grid over there. Every, all the streets are, are just winding around. There's really no, no grid pattern. So they, they bring up and down and try, try to listen to directions where you add the third dimension into it and it, it becomes really hard. 
But this is exactly what the Bible did. He says, says, go up to Bethel. So God said to Jacob, arise. Jacob didn't do this on his own. We are going to see God's, the name God, the word God is mentioned 11 times in chapter 35, never in chapter 34. When God was devoured in his life, you saw all these problems occur and God is calling him back. Every other case where men built a, a, uh, uh, an altar, every other case, they did that spontaneously on their own. God didn't tell them to build the altar. They did that on their own. This is the case where, where God tells them, God is saying, look, if you're not going to cry out, I'm going to have to tell you. And he intercedes. A lot of times our, our life gets into disaster and we say, wow, God, I really blew it. What do I have to do now? And we start seeking. In this case, God came to him and said, look, you got to get out of here. He says, arise. And, and he tells him, interestingly, the first thing to do, arise. You've got to put one step in front of the other. You've got to move your, your Christian life in a positive direction. The first thing God says is arise. Get out of bed and quit moping around and move, move. Just get out of bed and start moving. So he starts with arise. He says, go, I mean, very specifically, arise, go up to Bethel and live there. So he's telling him not just to go to Bethel. He says, this is going to be your new home. So you're going to, you're going to go south about 25 miles to Bethel. You've been there before. When you were fleeing from your brother about 28 years ago, you stopped in Bethel and that's where you met God. And that's where you had that profound uh, occurrence. And he actually made a covenant with God. He made a covenant with God, and that's that's back in in uh, in chapter twenty eight. He made a covenant with God. He says it says chapter twenty eight verse eighteen. After God appeared to him, it says in verse eighteen. So God rose early in the morning, and he took a stone that he had put under his head, and he set up a pillar, and he poured oil on it. This is chapter twenty eight verse nineteen. And he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city was Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth to you. So he made a promise to God, if I get back safely, I'm going to give a tenth portion to you. He's never done that yet. He made a vow to God that I will give a tenth of my income to you, whatever I make. And he says, if you will be with me and keep me on this journey. It's not that, it's not if in the same sense that we look at if, because if you look in chapter 28, further above, God made a bunch of promises to him in verse 13. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God on which, and the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. In verse 15, he says, Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. So God had promised him, you're going to be going far away, but I'm going to bring you back to this land. And so then he says in, in, uh, in verse 20, if God will indeed be with me and bring me on this journey. It's, a, it's as if you say, hey, Jim, I'm going to pick up a pizza for you and bring it to your house. I, I could say, if you do that, I'd be, I'd be greatly blessed. Thank you. I'm saying if you do that, not questioning that you're going to do that, 
It's just saying, since you're going to do that, I'd be greatly blessed. And so, so that's what he's talking about. So he had made a promise to God he was going to come back. He's eight years in the land, and he's not yet gone back to Bethel. He's not yet fulfilled what, what God has called him to do, what, what he promised that he would do. So he says, you get back to Bethel. I want you to live there. Make an altar there. This is the first experience where God is telling a man, make an altar. Every other case, it was spontaneous. The last time he did it in chapter 28, it was spontaneous. God appeared to him and he spontaneously set up an altar there. And he says, and he, make an altar there to God. Now, what's neat about this is that God is calling him to do, do this. He just totally blew it. Devoid of his life was any mention of God, no mention of God's name. In chapter 35, 11 times the word God is mentioned, and 11 times the name of God is mentioned. So the word G-O-D is mentioned 11 times, and the name of God is mentioned 11 times in chapter 35. So he goes from no God to lots of God. And it was God who called him back. You know, sometimes we think, you know, I came back to Jesus. No, it was Jesus. Jesus was calling you. Jesus was calling you. He is the one who initiated this. This is this reminds me of this portion in Mark, in Mark chapter 16. This is after the crucifixion. G Peter had denied Jesus three times. Three times Jesus had uh, Peter had denied Jesus. And Jesus looked right at him on the third time. And after this, after Jesus rose from the dead, he's sending the women back to tell the disciples He's sending her back. He's sending Mary back to tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead. And he doesn't just say, go back and tell the disciples that I rose from the dead. He says in Mark chapter 16, verse, verse 7, the angel says, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So here's the angel of the Lord saying, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Why would he say that? Why Why isn't Peter included with the disciples? He was like the top guy. Why would he have to say, go tell the disciples and Peter? Because Peter was so dejected after having forsaken Jesus three times openly. Three times. So the Lord says to him, go ahead and tell the disciples and Peter. He specifically calls to him. Sometimes we just absolutely blow it in our lives and the Lord comes to us. It is the Lord who initiates it. It is the Lord who comes to us and, and, and starts getting that corrected in our lives and says, look, this is what you got to do. Arise, get in the word of God, start spending time in him, do these sorts of things. It's the Lord that's reaching out to Jacob. Jacob was a good guy. He was really a good guy. The Bible characterizes him as a good guy. I know that, again, we've talked about this. Gentile pastors love to pick on Jacob, but the word of God uses this word for him, this word, uh, uh, tam. It's in chapter 25, peaceful man or perfect man. There's only two other people in the Bible this is used for. That's Noah and that's Job. Really top guys in the Bible. This word tam is used. When God said something of Jacob, he says, this is, this is the ranking that I'm putting him. There's only two other people, Job and Noah, that are used of this word. This is in chapter 25, verse 27. This word peaceful, it's translated into English, or the word tam. In, in, uh, concerning Job, it's translated perfect. Uh, so, so he thought a lot of him. But that even says God can think a lot of us, even when we are dejected and we feel we've totally blown it, God looks at us with great favor 
because we are his child. I've always told my children, I say, no matter what you go through, no matter what you go through, I always want you to remember, you are my child and that cannot change. You will always be my child and that will never change. I wanted that to be drilled into them, that I will always love you just because you are my child. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what you do, I will always love you because you are my child. He calls them. He says, go there, set up an altar there to God. You've got to get back in the word of God. You've got to get back to God. God is the one who's calling him. He says, set up an altar there. It's all about God. Get him essential in your life now. The God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Remember when you were really in trouble and you thought your brother was going to kill you when you fled and I appeared to you and I encourage you? I'm still the same God. I haven't changed. I'll tell you, I have been walking with God for over 40 years. I think back to my days in college when he got me through those classes that I was praying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. When he got me through my research and I was, and, and I remember I prayed to him when I was a, when I was a, a, an un, a graduate student, all the prayers I offered up to him. I remember those days. I remember those days. I remember his faithfulness. I remember as a graduate student, I was going in to do a postdoc in a very big and famous group. And I prayed, Lord, I said, Lord, by the time I get done with that postdoc, I pray that I'd have two papers in the Journal of the American Chemical Society and one in the Journal of Organic Chemistry. And I'd be the first author on all of those papers. Now, first author meant, no, I actually, I prayed that I would be the only author along with my boss, the only author along with my boss. And in those days, Journal of the American Chemical Society was the best place a chemist could publish. We never published, chemists never published in science and nature. They just didn't. It wasn't, and, and uh, that's exactly what I got. Two years later, when I got done, that's exactly what I had. Two papers in the Journal of American Chemical Society, one in the Journal of Organic Chemistry. This is God. God did this. God is the one who interceded. And I remember that. I remember the days that I prayed to him. I remember the times that I had with him. All those years ago, he's telling Jacob, remember 28 years ago, you went to Bethel and you had that experience with me. I want you to remember, remember that. It says in verse two, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away your foreign gods, which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. So then Jacob now says, look, we got to get right here with God. Put away your foreign gods. What were the foreign gods? Well, remember his wife, Rachel, had stolen these gods from her father, Laban, who was an idolater, never told her husband about it. Maybe he knew about it. Maybe he didn't. Uh, um, uh, but, you know, 28 years of this, he, there's a good chance he knew about this. He says, put them away. Not just that, they had just gotten a bunch of slaves from Shechem, all the women and all the children. These were idol worshipers. He says, put away your foreign gods. And, and it's, he says, put them, put them away, your foreign gods, which are among you. Purify yourselves. That means the ritual purification. He says, we're going to meet God. And change your garments. Again, change your garments. Simeon and Levi, their garments were covered in blood. Change your garments. This is the ritual cleaning. <clears throat> we're going to meet God. And let us arise and go to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I, I have gone. Look what he says. He says, he says exactly what God told him in verse one. Then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, live there and make an altar there to God. He says in verse three, let us 
arise. The exact thing that God told him, he told his family. This is what the leaders of a home should do. The mother, the father, what God speaks to us, tell the family, tell the family, instruct the family in these things. What God speaks to us, we need to tell the family. And this is why it's so important as parents that we are receiving from the Lord in in, in order to give it into our children. What he heard from God, he's telling his children. He's telling his family. He says, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress. I'm going to make an altar to God. He's the one who spoke to me 28 years ago. When I was in distress, he's the one who spoke to me and has been with me wherever I have gone. Remember in, 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 uh, in, earlier on in chapter, in chapter 28, he made that promise. He says, if you will be with me, then you will be my God. This time, God did everything that he needed to do. Um, uh, and, and, and so, uh, um, are, are, are you guys hearing me okay? Give me a thumbs up if you're hearing me okay. All right. So, 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 uh, uh, he, he's doing all of these things. He's doing this. And then he says, he says, uh, uh, I, I want to take you and I want to restore you now. For eight years living in Shechem, there's no indication that he ever sought the Lord or he ever led his family into anything of the Lord. And now he gives the call. And it says in, in verse 4, So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. So they gave him the foreign gods. They gave him the rings in their ears. These, these are these superstitious rings that the Shechemites had. So, so uh, uh, his wife turned over her gods. Her, the, the children tur- turned over if they had gods, but certainly the Shechemites turned over theirs. And it's interesting. He makes this call after eight years. Sometimes when you try to bring people into a place of godliness, when you try to bring them in, it's not as hard as you had forced, as you forethought, as your forethought was. You thought, how can I, how can I tell them about God? They're not going to receive this. And all of a sudden you tell them about God and it wasn't so bad after all. And it's hard for a man who's been running a life that where he hasn't really been seeking God very much and to all of a sudden come back to his family and to say, hey, I want to start having family devotions together again. I want to start having time together again as a family. And and yeah, they'd look at you like you're a hypocrite. You've been doing this for eight years. You haven't been and all of a sudden you want to seek. But you have to do it. And sometimes they comply. Sometimes they follow you. Sometimes they do this. Sometimes they follow along. And, and I'll tell you, there were, there were days that, that during our family devotions, when we would have these at 5.30 in the morning, we'd bring down all the kids and we'd have our family devotions together. And I'd get all the kids. I mean, uh, you know, if, 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 if the kids, you know, I had control over them, they'd come. If one day Shireen didn't feel like coming, I mean, we'd have it anyway. And then she'd come down. You just have to do it anyway. And then, and then they will follow. Then they will follow. You do these sorts of things. You just follow the Lord and people will eventually follow. And they follow the Lord. Sometimes it's not as hard as you thought it was going to be. They complied. They gave him and he got rid of them. He buried them in Shek- by an oak. Nobody knew this. He buried it secretly and they went on. And so it says in verse five, and as they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities which were around them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So these cities were really scared of him. Really scared. 
You, you see in verse 30 of chapter 34, he says the Perizzites and the Canaanites, they're going to band together and they're going to kill us. Well, what happened? As soon as he started putting God first, as soon as he started setting aside God, boom, God put the terror of, of the, the, the Israelites, the terror of, of the Hebrews upon all the people of the land. When you start walking with God, it brings in this great protection for you. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus comes over your home. The blood of Jesus is there. You just call down this presence of God and the fear of God came upon them. It wasn't even like they had to fight. The fear of God was upon them. Now, there may have been some natural fear in, in the Canaanites in that two guys among the Israelites, Simeon and Levi, two guys wiped out an, an entire city of men. But remember, they did it cleverly. Remember, the, 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 the battle does, is not won by the strong man. The battle is won by the smart man. These guys really faked them out. They, 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 they got them circumcised. They were in pain. This is just like, like 24 hours after circumcision. They had probably been on an anodyne, which messes up your mind anyway to kill the pain. It was in the middle of the night. Everybody's groaning anyway. So if you stab somebody and he groans, all your neighbors are hearing you groan all night anyway. They really psyched them out. But they're afraid of them. God puts a protection around the family when you start putting God first. You want protection on your home? Put God first into your home and there will be protection. There is an amazing protection that comes into your home when you start putting God first. And this is what you see here. Terror, terror came upon people who formerly were wanting to kill them. This is how you can bring this great protection on your home when you start bringing God into your home. So Jacob came to Luz in verse 6, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there, and he called the, the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he had fled from his brother. Remember, the name of the city was Bethel. Bethel was the name that Jacob gave it 28 years ago. Bethel means house of God. Bethel means house of God. And, and, uh, and, and, uh, um, El Bethel means God over the house of God, God's house of God. He puts God again into it. So it's, it's Bethel, which is house of God. He says El Bethel, God, house of God. It is not just the tradition of Bethel. It is not just our traditions and our sacraments. It is God in the traditions. It is God in the sacraments that means something. It is God in the body of Christ. God is about everything. It's not just about a bunch of, of mindless sacraments. You do this, you do that. It is God over the sacraments. You get God. He is the beginning and the end of everything. El, Beth El, God, house of God. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the everything. You get God into this. There's this tendency sometimes to fall back into tradition. To think that tradition is, is, you know, this will take care of me. It won't take care of you at all. Tradition won't do it. You have to have God as a part of this. God is the one. You get God back in this thing. So he names it El Bethel because God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now he was remembering, this is the place that I prayed to God 28 years ago after he had appeared to me. I'll tell you, I received the Lord when I was 18 at Syracuse University. I received the Lord. And uh, um, uh, what happened was every time I go back to Syracuse, because that's where Shireen's family lives, I look at the dormitory building that I got saved in. And I would always tell my children, I said, 
in that building right there, that's where I accepted the Lord. I told them so often when we would go back to visit family, and this is a 20-story building, so you can see it from the highway as you're driving in, that my kids would always say to that's the building that dad got saved in. I mean, they preempt me because they were tired of hearing me say this so much. And, and, uh, uh, but, and then I, I, when I walk around that campus, there's a, there's a chapel there called Hendricks Chapel. When I was an undergraduate, I got in this habit of going into the chapel and falling on my knees every day and praying. And it's a, it's, it's a habit that I have till this day, to this day. All through my career, I did this sort of thing. And uh, uh, I would go in that chapel and I'd look at that chapel and I'd think of all the prayers when I was just a teenager that I offered up in that chapel. You have these places of remembrance and this is exactly what he's going through. And he, and he talks about this and he built an altar there and he called the name of the place El Bethel because God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. In verse, in verse 8, in verse 8, it's, it says, Now Deborah... Rebecca's nurse died, and she was buried below Bethel under the oak. It was named Alan Bakuth. So we're going to come back to that. That's a very interesting statement in there. But now look in verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came to, from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God also said, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you, and I will give you the land, give this land to your descendants. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken to him. So God meets him there at Bethel. And God appears to him and reiterates exactly what he had said to him 28 years ago. Probably Jacob was thinking that that's it. I mean, I've so blown it. My kids have ended up killing a bunch of men that didn't deserve to be killed. And I've lost it. I've lost the blessing. But these promises that were made to the Israelites about this were irrevocable, the New Testament tells us. And God reiterates to him, I love you. I will always love you. The very same thing he spoke to him back in chapter 28, the very same thing he spoke to him 28 years earlier than this, is that he says, I am God. I am with you. You're no longer going to be called Jacob. I'm going to call you Israel. That name that I gave you when you wrestled with me, I'm not taking it away. It's still your name. I remember that. You're still my child. I still love you. Yeah, you, you strayed from me for a while, but my love for you has not changed. I am still with you. I'm still with you, he says. And then he says, uh, um, he says, I'm God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. And Jacob's like, multiply? I got, I got 11 sons and at least one daughter. And, but he's saying to him exactly the same thing that he had told him earlier. And he says, and kings shall come forth from you. A, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you. One nation came from from Jacob, and that that is the children of Israel. And that second word, nation, a nation and a company of nations, is different than the first word. That second word, nation, is often translated tribes. There's going to be twelve tribes coming from you, from your from your twelve sons. But he says here, he says that here that that uh, um, that so from Jacob came one nation, and that is Israel. From Abraham came multiple nations. So you had the na- na- nations that, that came up, but from Jacob came the one. 
And so you see here that, that uh, and he says, and kings shall come forth from you. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I'm giving it to you. I haven't forgotten that. That promise remains. God's promise to you, if you have given your heart to Jesus, the promise remains no matter how hard, no matter how far you have moved away from him, his promise to you remains. You can't get away from that promise. His promise to you remains. If you have given your heart to Jesus and you have prayed and you say, Lord, as it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead. You are saved. You cannot get away from that. God's love for you is there. Now you can stray from God and you bring in great troubles into your life, but his love for you and his salvation for you will not change. It will not change. So you see this great blessing that came upon them. And so what I want to do is I want to... I want to uh, uh, Close this out by looking at, at uh, uh, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. This is Jesus speaking. In the end times, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, he says, uh, uh, Behold, Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus is the one who comes to us. He says, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. I am knocking at the door of your heart. If you have strayed from me, I'm the one knocking. I mean, it's not like I'm, I'm saying, well, you know, you strayed from me. You come back to me. You come back to me and, and, and you fall on your knees and ask me for forgiveness and then maybe I'll think about bringing you back in. No, Jesus is the one who comes knocking. He is the one who knocks. He is the one that takes this position of lowliness and comes to us and says, come back to me, come back to me. If you don't know the Lord, he is the one who is coming to you this day. He's the one and saying, come to me, come to me. I'm drawing you to myself, come to me. He says, I will knock on your door. He says, you, you, I'm just knocking on your door. Come to me. If you don't know the Lord this day, I'm going to ask you to pray with me to invite Jesus into your heart. And the other thing that I'm going to ask you to do is send me an email to tour at rice.edu, T-O-U-R at rice.edu. You send me an email. We will set up a time to meet by Zoom, just me and you one-on-one. -on -one. And let me lead you through my story about Jesus and how he came into my life. And if you, if you, if you uh, don't speak English that well and you're Chinese, you tell me I got Chinese friends and we'll, we'll all connect by Zoom, just that Chinese friend and, and, and me and you, and we'll get together and, and they'll translate as I speak and you come to Jesus. There's nothing that has to keep you from coming to Jesus. Open up your heart and come. You see, God is the one who reached out to him. God is the one who said, Come to me. God is the one who called him. God is the one who said, go and build the altar. I'll rebuild this thing. God is the one who was there. And he said, he said to him, every promise that I gave you back in 28, it holds. It holds. Every one of them holds. And remember you said to me that if I bring you back to this place, so it may well have been here on this altar where he took a tenth of his portion, a tenth of his animals and offered them up. It may have been at that place. The promises that we made, we can now rebuild and keep for the Lord. 
So let's, let's pray. I'm going to pray. And if you don't know the Lord, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. And if you know the Lord, I'm going to lead you in that too. So I may disappear for a moment as I get on my knees. I'll point the camera down a little bit, but I'll be back. Lord Jesus, I pray for your grace to be poured out. Lord, I pray first of all for the unbelievers that have joined us today, those who do not know you. And if you're an unbeliever, pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me. I believe Jesus is Lord. And I believe Jesus has risen from the dead. And for those of you who know the Lord, but may have drifted, I will lead you in a prayer today. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me from drifting from you. Forgive me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for drawing me back. Thank you for drawing me back by your spirit. Draw me back into a depth of relationship. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love me forever, that you love me forever. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, now I pray for the people on this call that you would so work and move in their lives to bring them close to Jesus because everything is about Jesus. As Jesus said, Moses wrote of me. Everything we are reading about, everything is pointing to Jesus, the Son of God, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord Jesus, all good is embodied in you. Everything good. If there's anything good, anything holy, anything worthy of praise, it's because of you, Lord Jesus. All good gifts come from you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because of you. Praise be to your name. And Lord, we pray for your grace to be poured out upon the lives of these people and their families. Lord, so many families represented by those here online. Lord, I pray for those families that you'd cause them to grow in you. Lord, I pray for the fathers and the mothers in those families that they would lead the children in the ways of God, that they would learn to fear God and seek you. And Lord, I pray for your grace, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.